Welcome to Sex Positive Families, where parents, caring adults, and advocates come to grow and learn about sexual health in a supportive community. I'm your host and the founder of SPF, Melissa Carnegie. Join me and special guests as we dive into the art of sex-positive parenting. Together, we will shake the shame and trash the taboos to strengthen sexual health talks with the children in our lives. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, families. So what comes to mind when you think of faith, religion, and sexuality? I've spoken to many adults on this SPF journey thus far who have shared about upbringings with religious foundations, and what I've found is that it often contributed to less open, less sex-positive environments. There seems to be a block on what is considered appropriate sexually within many faith-based communities. So I'm excited that on this episode, we are deconstructing this just a bit with our guest, Reverend Lisette Cross, affectionately known as Reverend L. She describes herself as a God-loving justice worker who is a Black, bisexual woman, and ordained Baptist minister. She believes in the power of intersectionality as it is the lens and grounding of her work around sexuality and faith. As a self-identified womanist, she has the deepest commitment to the liberation of all people. Her work in ministry and coaching creates space for conversation, learning, and change around sexuality and spirituality, working with anyone who wrestles with how to connect sexual behavior and attitudes with their beliefs about God, self, others, and the Bible. This episode will make you think. So let's wrestle with it with Reverend L. We have with us today Reverend L. That's Reverend Lisette Cross with Will You Be Whole? How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing really well. I am excited to dive in. We are going to be talking about the intersection of sexuality and faith, which I know for the sex positive families community, especially within the the group that we have, this is a topic that comes up a lot. It seems to have some deep roots for a lot of people in terms of their upbringing and how they then shape their ideas about sexual health and perception of their own sexuality. So I'm excited to dive in with you, um, but I'd love to start by having you share with us what your journey towards the work that you're doing in faith and sexuality has been. I love telling this story because it is always a reminder that we are the sum total of our experiences. And so I really started doing sexual health education in the Washington, D.C. area. Oh, my goodness, late 90s, so like 99, 2000, you know, um, in that time, and was working as a volunteer doing teen pregnancy prevention. Mm. And then I was, I don't know what the word is, uh, I, I was, I guess, uh, willing to finally surrender to what is uh, traditionally or classically called in the church tradition, black church tradition. I answered the call on my life and I said yes to God. And, and so the was always involved in youth ministry and doing all of the um, work with young people was always a safe space for young people in the church to know that I was a caring adult that they could come to and talk about. And so by working the community, coupled with the youth ministry work I was doing in the church, just kind of um, amped up a little bit when I really realized and discerned that God had called me to preach um, 
uh, to the gospel ministry, as we would say in the black church tradition. So I was licensed initially back in 2004, and and then just kind of kept living and figuring out what we all try to figure out in our life, right? Like, Mm -hmm. where where are we going? What's going on? And so what ended up happening for me was that in 2008, I just began to have a little bit more awareness around, you could call them feminist ideals or just gender equality, just about the ways that the church was not open about sexuality, um, and I had a personal experience that I was a youth minister at a, you know, fundamentalist literal church, and I had, I don't have any children, mm-hmm. by choice, and so she was uh, like a daughter to me, and she came out, right, and mm-hmm. so it was uh, one of the first kind of what I like to call crisis moments, where I realized I had been taught and actually could say that I believe that, you know, folks who were LGBTQ were going to hell because I believed what the Bible said and what my pastor had taught me and had never been exposed or engaged in conversation with people who thought differently. But I knew in that moment, though I did not biologically birth uh, this individual, I knew that they were family, right? Mm -hmm. And so I can't, I couldn't send her to hell. He now lives um, as a trans man, is happily married, has two kids, is an amazing, you know, human being. And so that was one of those kind of blips in my journey that helped me strongly realize the role of faith and the role of the church and religion and sexuality. And so once I kind of had that personal experience, I continued my work, uh, volunteer work, and fortunately got connected to an organization in D.C., that was called Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. And I served as their sexuality educator for about six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a good kind of combination of um, doing this work from a religious organization that was advancing the idea that there are people of faith out here who believe in reproductive rights, who believe in medically accurate sex education to be both in schools and in the church. And so we also did a teen pregnancy prevention program inside of a church. And that church was Covenant Baptist uh, United Church of Christ in Washington, D.C. And so my journey of sex and faith kept evolving. And um, I went to seminary and wrote all, any paper I had to write in seminary was about sexuality. Um, Almost any discussion, I brought that up. So my journey is kind of just built on personal experience, Uh, professional experience as a sexuality educator, and then the theological experience of actually going to seminary and really digging deeper from a research perspective. And so all of those have kind of combined together to like bring me to this point where I love what I do and I love the ever unfolding conversation of sex and faith. Wow, that is quite a journey with this. And to come to it at that crossroads that just touches you so personally. Yes, it totally is a part of that sense of calling, right? So that's what I use. Uh, Those are the words that I use, the language that I use for me. And like this sense of like, I believe that the creator brought me into existence to do this work, right? That I am unique personality that I am um, to be able to, to say, let's have this difficult conversation, but also to be able to hold 
the space I think necessary because I was that person that wrestled, right? I was the person that said, this is somebody, you know, that I love that I can't, I can't send this individual now, or I can't send them now. I also, you know, had my own personal, like, come to Jesus moment because <laughs> I came into my woman loving self at 30. And so I didn't, today I identify as bisexual, but did not realize that. Um, until I was 30 and I fell in love with a woman and I like to say in my story that she loved me back to life after mm. some you know significant challenges that I was having in a relationship a long-term relationship I ended and um, and so now that also took me to a place of saying wait a minute God I think I was okay when it was outside of mm, myself right? right so you know this is my daughter now son you know this is a, somebody that I love okay, I can't do that because I'm, you know, I, it's not right. But then when it come, came to my own salvation, right, my own sense of can I really do what, you know, I was already a licensed minister. I was already, you know, preaching and doing youth ministry and, you know, doing the things that, that young ministers are expected to do. And now here I was, like, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that, this experience with this woman was divinely designed and perfect for what I needed in my life. Um, and so I had my own kind of like, you know what, I need to come step away from this church that I love with people that I loved and that had shaped me. But I knew that um, a literal fundamentalist perspective of the Bible and a patriarchal, like conservative view of the church and gender roles and all that I stuff, mm-hmm. that was not life giving for me. And so I did my like, you know, my wilderness journey mm-hmm. <laughs> where I stepped away from the church and I was like, I don't know about this and tried to even say I'm not a minister anymore, right? Like I'm not doing this, <laughs> not doing this anymore. And um, and so I, I, you know, I had to, I believe in the power of story and I believe in the power of community to allow us to heal and we cannot heal if we don't talk and fortunately mm. the divine uh, set it up in such a way that the church that I joined covenant um, they you know I met some amazing same gender loving black women who loved God who was unapologetic about their love for their partner who, you know, others who were raising families. And I was just seeing models of lesbian couples, of gay couples, of two people just loving each other and loving God and serving in the church. And that was a radical shift for me. So I had to go through the emotions. I had to go through the what the world. I had to go through the grieving of letting go of what I of what I once knew. And I now understand that. And I don't think I understood it at the time. But I now understand it as like, that was just part of this call, right? That part of the increased sensitivity is because of my lived experience. And I now fully and wholly embrace like this work as a call and this, and the, um, as a womanist, you know, which is akin to a black feminist, that my lived experience um, is really the lens through which I understand the need for this continued conversation and the creation of safe space for us to become sex positive people of faith or sex positive spiritual people, whatever that means for individuals. Wow. <laughs> that, that That is all I can say after that. Like, thank you for sharing this 
story with us, it is such a testament to what is possible when we come to those crossroads and we we challenge and we open up. There can be a lot of folks that point back to scripture when they're trying to understand or or the scripture has defined their understanding of sexuality. Where do you point to in terms of scripture when it comes to the intersections of sexuality and faith? That is a great question. And I want to, I want to first of all be honest and let folks know that it has, like, it has taken me years. And I'm, what is this, January? Like, like literally back in October of 2017, like October, November 2017, I finally like reckoned with with my God and was like, okay, fine. Like the Bible ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Listen, I can know, I mean, I'm very um, intellectual person. Like my personality is very intellectual. But the one question is the question that you just posed mm-hmm. that I finally, like, God just was like, you need to deal with this because the Bible is not going anywhere. And so I can now say that I answer your question after my own personal wrestle mm-hmm. and being able to look within the Bible as, number one, one sacred text, right? So mm-hmm. it is a sacred text. It's not the only text that I consider to be sacred, right. um, even as a Christian. So let me put that out there. But Psalms uh, 139, you know, I'm fearfully, for you are fearfully and wonderfully made that God knew you before the foundation of the world. So I do have this belief from that scripture that God already knows who, God already knew who I was going to be, what I was going to look like, all of that wonderful stuff. And then my next um, space is um, Luke chapter four. Mm -hmm. I just believe in Jesus and I believe in the radical liberator that Jesus was and um, and what his ministry was. And so, you know, the Lord has, has called me to release the captives, to set the oppressed free, to give sight to the blind, right? So mm-hmm. he's setting out his, his, basically his mantra for his ministry, right? And it is about liberation and it is about, um, uh, re- you know, getting rid of those things that keep us bound, right? right. So that means that, God wants us to be free in who we are. Mm. Um, And the scripture that I'm currently meditating on and really believe um, is going to be integral as we understand how to become sex-positive Christians or be in a sex-positive family and community is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, that talks about, like, radical hospitality, and it talks about, like, you need to love deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Mm. And once we get past some of the problematic language around sin, which I acknowledge, mm, yeah. the, the sentiment of being in community, meeting you, Melissa, and loving you deeply, and like that love being the foundation of being able to understand and have radical acceptance of everything, of who you are, the good, the bad, the different. So those are my scriptures. Gotcha. Thank thank you. And I, you know, just full disclosure, I am not, you know, I do not practice a religious uh, faith or, and so this is so fascinating to me. Uh, I definitely have intersected with a lot of folks who can can seem to me not being a person of faith with that, you know, depth of understanding, a lot less tolerant to uh, difference in this way. And like, I think you were suggesting, you know, uh, labeling 
as sins, you know, and, and like you said earlier, mm-hmm. going to hell for these things that are about, you know, sex positivity and about sexuality mm-hmm. and again about being free and being holy mm-hmm. who you are. So what do you find in the work that you're doing are some some common root issues that, that exist behind the resistance of accepting sexuality within faith-based communities? If I had to say the biggest one thing is definitely the need to be black and white. Mm. To the need to say, the Bible says this, period. Yeah. <laughs> I think the second thing is power and the way that power dynamic um, is played out through human relationships. Mm. Yes. And so who who is the person that benefits from people, from, from the idea, the religious idea that uh, you should not, we should not have non-marital sex. Or the common parlance is you can't have sex outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. Who benefits from that, right? Mm-hmm. Like who, no, no, and, and most often, typically speaking, men are not the ones relationally, socially condemned for having sex outside of marriage. Right. It is primarily the women, right? right? And then this idea of our bodies. Right, that particularly women's bodies and it's women's responsibility to keep our bodies under wraps, to not show our curves, to not to not entice men, to not distract the quote unquote man of God, mm-hmm. um, and do that in a way that would then mean you've got to completely dim your light if you are a female bodied person, right? Mm-hmm. Or if yes. you're a woman identified person. But who benefits from that, right? Who who is the who are the people, what is the structure, the system in power that benefits from that? And I think that those are the root causes or root I don't want to say causes, but root um lessons that I hear a lot, right? So the Bible is right, sex outside of marriage is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um you you know, you cannot question God or you cannot question the biblical text. And women, because quote unquote Eve sinned, then women are the reason for everything not good in the world. So we've got to cover ourselves up. We cannot be good in our bodies, that our bodies are bad, that pleasure is bad, that all of this stuff is going to somehow separate us from the love of God. Um, And I think that those are recurring themes that happen from the time someone is a child, Mm -hmm. um, either whether an individual is in the church or I like to call church adjacent, you may not be in church, but if you are in a family or a community of folks, particularly black folks, particularly people of color that are around folks who are religious, you still get impacted or affected by those great. religious messages. Yes, great point. Yeah, they're very, very, very strong influences, which mm-hmm. again impact how our young people then are growing up getting mixed messages about their sexuality about sexual health about sex positivity and it's it's uh it's not serving us it's definitely not serving our communities of color in terms of high rates you know of stis and hiv there there definitely needs to be a lot more folks doing what you're doing rooted in the faith community to shift the conversation so that we can get some better healthier outcomes so what what does it look like in terms of your colleagues and other pastors or ministers or faith-based leaders? How do they 
receive the work that you're doing? Have they been supportive? You know, generally speaking, Melissa, they have been supportive. Across the board, everybody knows this is a conversation that the church has most often neglected for a sundry of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, they they respect me, even if they may not always like me or like <laughs> what I say. They respect they respect the boldness behind it. I believe that people see the preparation, right? So I am not only do I have two theological degrees, you know, extensive years of, of sexuality education experience, then I am consistent in my messaging and in the words that I'm saying, right? So people that know me, my, my pastoral friends, my minister friends, other faith-based leaders, they respect that and they see that in the work that I do because it is not as if I am a, somebody that just is like, just pops up every now and then and Mm -hmm. I say this random thing and then I go back to doing like something else, right? Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) this has been, I mean, if you ever had a chance to talk to somebody that went to seminary with me, they will tell you, this child has been talking about sex (laughs) and faith since we met her (laughs) and we are not surprised that this is where she is and we respect her. And so, you know, I have some colleagues that are a little bit more progressive than others. And so they may ask me to come and speak or come and teach at their church. And then there are other colleagues who are very conservative who will come to me in my messenger, you know, who will email me and do it in the cloak of darkness, um, which, listen, as long as you're getting the information and as long as you are adequately compensating my knowledge reduction, then we, you know, we are right. Because at the end of the day, my call is to be the voice crying out in the wilderness. And I just, that important to me. Um, where, you know, you don't have to, I don't have to ever preach your revival or be come to your church every Sunday or whatever. I just need to know that the information that I produce, the conversations that we have, the insight that you may see on social media or in conversations we have, you are using that to further yourself, mm-hmm. your family, and your congregation or the community that you're called to. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let me ask you this. So what are some first or key steps that someone can take when they're looking to address conflicts that they're experiencing with faith and sexuality? So I developed this method called RAP, W-R-A-P. So W is wrestle, right? So you have to identify that thing that you're wrestling with. Is it the scripture? Is it your, is it that you feel bad? You're single and you're having sex and the church says you're not supposed to, why are you wrestling with this, right? Mm-hmm. What is your relationship with the divine? Do you believe in Christianity? Whatever that means, like wrestle with, wrestle with the issue at hand. That's what wrestle means. And then R means that you reconcile. So here's the, here's the thing about reconciling. In order to reconcile something, you must start with what you know, Mm-hmm. And then research and look for the stuff you don't know. Mm. And then you bring them together and you reconcile. And from that reconciliation, that bringing together, that, um, you know, as my grandmama used to say, chew the meat, spit out the fat mm-hmm. type of thing, then you come to the A, which is accept. So there's just, 
there has to come a point in our journey where you're just going to say, listen, this is what I accept about my life today, about my sexuality today, about my body positivity today, and I'm going to accept that for what that is. Regardless of what my mama now told me, regardless of what the church is saying, this is what I know from what I've wrestled with, from what I've reconciled, this is what I accept. Hmm. And then once you accept it, you put it into practice. So I like to use my personal life as an example. You know, there was a time in my mid-30s, and not too distant past, <laughs> a couple years no, ago. No one's counting. I'm where, you know, I mean, I... I I engaged in casual sex, right? So that means that as a person who is not married, I identified someone that I want to have sex with. Mm-hmm. I did I'm not interested in being married, nor am I inter- nor was I interested in a long-term relationship. It was a mutual affirming, consensual, you know, conversation that mm-hmm. was had yeah. <laughs> between me and the individual. Right. We talked about protection. We talked about health status. Right. We talked about, you know, those things. And then I engaged in that. So if I need, you know, some people call it friends with benefits. Some people call it somebody, whatever you want to call it is what I had. And I did that because I wrestled with, okay, I got to figure out how I'm going to have sex and not always feel guilty. Then I had to reconcile, what do I really believe about casual sex, about me engaging in sex with someone else? What does that mean for me? And then I just simply accepted the fact that my relationship with God, which is for me foundational, is what's primary, not what the church says about me. Mm. And then I practice that, right? So I'm, I'm protecting myself. I'm protecting the individual that I'm having sex with, who is my sexual partner in the moment, right? And ensuring that we are enjoying pleasure with each other while also, you know, making sure that we we are honoring and respecting and being consensual and all of those things. And so that is a process. It is not a one and done, which Mm -hmm. is why people don't like I don't say don't like, why people have a problem with the conversation of sex and faith. Because people in the church want a one and done. Oh, the Bible says this, it's over, that's it. Right, like you said, that black and white nature. Exactly. And so when you talk about, when you live this thing out, sexuality and spirituality are the two major aspects of our humanity. Mm. And as long as we live, like continue living, we are going to change. Those things are going, those uh, aspects of who we are are dynamic, right? They they are not static. Right. And so the rap process is a continual one. And so I'm, I'm 42. I haven't had a, you know, casual sexual relationship in the past year because in my life right now, I made a choice. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> but it did mean that for the time that I did it, I went through that process, right? And I think it's it's important to note that when I was doing it, not only was I accountable to myself and the person that I was engaging in, but I also had you know, a couple of girlfriends of mine or good friends of mine who I knew I could talk to. And if they saw me behaving in a way that was not my character, they would be able to hold me accountable. 
Because one of the things about being sex positive is that it is not about being irresponsible. Right. And being a sex positive person means that you're aware of your feelings. Mm -hmm. You're aware of what's happening with your mental health. Because I believe in Jesus and therapy. Amen. (laughs) It is about this continual sense of like, what's going on with you? Mm -hmm. Why did you do that? Why'd you eat that chicken? You're not really hungry. You know, like, knowing, <laughs> Just having your, that knowing your stuff. Yeah. It's self-awareness. It is about self-awareness. And it could also be because I have a social work, my undergrad is in social work. But I, this process has also taught me, like, self-awareness is key. And I think that when people make the miss, they make the conservative people make the mistake in assuming that those of us who are sex positive, whether an individual is a Christian or not, Anybody who identifies as sex positive is just, we just out here all willy-nilly just, <laughs> and it's not true. Absolutely it's, not. It's, and right. I think it's actually impossible to be sex positive without having a deep sense of, of awareness mm-hmm. and willingness to sit in the mystery and the beauty of this thing that we cannot control, mm. our sexuality and our spirituality. Nice. I love how you how you frame that. And I love that rap model that perfectly offers a process for someone. And like you said, it's it's continuous. It's not the one and done. And so I'm hearing from you that it's possible to be a sex positive Christian. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I believe it, it's, it's possible to be possible to be a sex positive person of faith right because Mm -hmm. there are so many people that have been hurt by the church who may not ever identify as a christian again but because that deep spirituality which i define as connecting to that which is greater than ourselves that is within us as human beings that you can be both of those things right Um, that we can be both of those things which is which i think is such an powerful affirmation and acceptance beautiful beautiful well if i ever find myself in church i most certainly want to be at the church that you're ministering at <laughs> that sounds like my Honey, kind of church if you would have been in church with us uh yesterday you would have you would have just had a good laugh and we had a good time yesterday Amen. And so are you are you doing are you facilitating any small groups outside of, you know, the a larger congregation? I'm sure that because I, I can imagine that that's where a lot of real good, vulnerable, intimate work happens is in those one on one or small group spaces. So right now I am doing some one on one coaching. I call it pastoral care because it is the work of holding space for people to make the connections. Sometimes we just don't have the safety to make. I used to, when I first started Will You Be Whole, I held a monthly conversation circle. Mm. And so haven't found a way to restart that model up, Mm -hmm. but have developed a curriculum for a a healing storytelling circle for Mm. Black women and Black girls. And am finding a way to implement that this spring that is that is where a lot of the healing work takes place up in intimate spaces where we can share um, safely, bravely with one another. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, we do need to wrap up. This has been amazing, yes. and a lot of this has been through you sharing your own testimony, which just makes it so much 
sweeter and more authentic. And so I thank you so much for, for opening up in that way and sharing with us because I guarantee you that you your story and experience is connecting with others and who are in different phases, you know, along their journey. So thank you so much for that. What projects do you have coming up? What is 2018 looking like so far for you? It is. It feels. It feels really exciting. So, um, one thing that I'm definitely continuing in 2018 is Wrestle With It Wednesday, which is on Wednesdays. Um, this is a little bit of the CP time in me, but Wednesdays <laughs> between lunchtime, roundabout, about 11:30, <laughs> roundabout, right? It's the it's the lunchtime hour. So, so sometimes you know you go to lunch early if right. you work, you know. It's the times when restaurants have lunch specials, which right. is eleven thirty to three o'clock. It's a window. Okay? It's a um, window. <laughs> <laughs> and so I do that on Facebook. My Facebook page is Will You Behold with Reverend L. I am seriously taking this knowledge that I carry in my head and creating content. And Great. I am launching the rap model and a workbook for that. Awesome. A sex and faith journal with sexuality writing prompts and faith writing prompts. Mm. Um, and looking to launch that also. Both of those kind of pieces in February uh, for the third year anniversary for Will You Be Whole, which is February 14th, oh, 2018. That is oh, that's awesome. some of the things coming up. I'm excited. Okay. And I think I heard, are you going to be doing an event coming up here soon? Yes. So, we, so for people who live in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, I am a board member for the Incarnation Institute for Sex and Faith. Mm. And so myself, along with a trained sexologist, Richie Davis, are doing in a, uh, what she calls a sexual theology happy hour mm, and it's that. titled being a slut is not a sin amen it's part two <laughs> and um and it basically is is she and i filtering questions from the audience about topics related to what you and i talked about um and we use that title being a slut is not a sin to provoke the, the you know just to, just to kind of poke the bear a little bit yeah. um, because people like talking about sex and the church and have lots of things to say from their own perspective so that is Wednesday January 10th doors open at 6 p.m. Um, and it starts at 7 tickets are $12 and they can find that on um, my my Facebook page which is um, Lisette Cross or Will You Be Whole with Reverend L um, and the link to that is on there. Excellent. So if folks miss that by any chance, you mentioned a part two. Is this like a series that you all are looking to do again in the future? Yes. Yeah, so it is definitely going to be a series. Okay. I think when we finish it, when we finish up on Wednesday, we'll look at a date at either uh, probably March, um, you know, when spring happens. Right. Um, and then the other thing that my faith community is doing, the church that I pastor, Restoration Fellowship, we are launching a sex and faith after dark conversation. Mm. And so what does it mean to talk openly about sex, particularly sex and things related to sex in conversation with our faith? And so that'll be launched in February, which will be an exciting thing. That's on February 17th in Richmond, Virginia. So there, there's definitely lots of exciting things 
coming down the pike and and continued partnerships and collaborations with amazing folks like yourselves with Sex Positive Families and um, other sexuality educators and and good people out there doing this work. Awesome. Well, I am so appreciative of your of your time, of your passion, of your commitment, of your vulnerability. Clearly, it is serving you and allowing you to then, you know, be a vessel of service to others. And uh, it, it's just beautiful. I, I learned a lot. Uh, we've connected, you know, a, for a little while here, you know, fairly new in our connection. And, and just in this in this interview, I've, I've learned so much that I feel, you know, even closer to you and to your story. So I thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to share in terms of how folks can get connected with you? You said you have a website. Yeah, check out my website, willyoubehold.com. That is where you can find out more information about me, Reverend L, and about the work that I do. You can invite me out to your girls' night party or to your church or your faith community um, to talk about sex and faith. So that's willyoubehold.com. Excellent. Thank you so much, Reverend L, for your time and for your passion. And uh, I look forward to sharing this with our community. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. If you like this episode and podcast, please leave a review in iTunes or Google Play so more people can find us. And you can always visit us on our website at sexpositivefamilies.com. There you can shop Sex Positive swag in our online store, connect with us across our social media platforms, join our Facebook community, and learn more resources to help support sexual health in your family. Until next time, I'm Melissa Carnegie. Thank you for supporting content that strengthens sexual health talks in families.